Welcome, everybody, to episode 23 of the Katie and Me podcast. As always, I am Chris Hutchinson, and I am joined by my brilliant friend and co-host, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you? Hey, Chris. I am doing well. I am looking forward to the end of my growing season in a (laughs) month or two and more of this and less of that. Yeah, you've been you've been busy. I've been busy. I think uh, we were talking pre-show. It's probably been five plus months since we've done an episode. And that's not because we don't love our fans. It's because I know that everything that you're doing with your organic farm has been a heavy lift right now. And everything I've been doing professionally and personally has been uh, quite daunting as well. So it's nice to finally get some time with you where we're not uh, pulling our hair out. Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about what I call the new world of work today. And I know that you have some some heavy stats and, and I have some pretty cool information as well. But before we do that, I'd like to thank our show partner, Audible. If you're not familiar with Audible by now, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Audible really does a great job of helping people get more stories and information through the gift of found time. And uh, we all have a lot of found time right now, even though we are still coming out of the pandemic. But I think uh, what we'll talk a little bit about today as well is that people have a little bit more time to themselves than what they may have had five or 10 years ago. So if you are interested in giving Audible a free trial for one free book, you can visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. Thanks to our friends at Audible for always being a great partner. So Katie, we're going to talk a little bit about what I call the new world of work today. And I'm going to reference a little bit about some of the things that that I do in my professional career. But I know that you kind of dug deep and, and did some, some research on this topic as well. So I'll kind of let you kick things off and then I'll, uh, I'll chime in here after you kind of tee this subject up a little bit. All right. Well, what I was focusing on uh, in the last week or two, and really in the last several months, has been um, what we're calling the labor shortage, right? And I've Mm -hmm. heard it described as a global situation, but I'm kind of focusing on the US for the sake of brevity here. You know, we've all seen all these signs everywhere on every business that are like, be kind, we're short staffed, or the whole world is short staffed. And sometimes they have these snarky lines at the end, like be nice to those who showed up or who bother, Mm -hmm. or no one wants to work anymore. I hate that. God, I hate that. (laughs) um, So wait, do you know anyone who is unemployed, who can't find work right now? Um, I I don't believe so. Uh, I have friends that are looking, but they're currently employed elsewhere. Right. Um, But yeah, I I don't know anyone that's unemployed at the moment. Okay. I I mean, other than like folks that, that I help in my company, like the company I work for, I mean, we, we work with students that are looking for, for jobs, but I mean, like close family friends or, you know, close confidence. No, I don't have anyone that's, that's currently looking. I was just curious. That's totally anecdotal. I also don't know anyone who's unemployed. I know yeah. someone who recently left a position, but still like is still working the one that they had. Oh. They had two, and they left one. Right. So, <laughs> but um, um, on September third, we got the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers for August, mm-hmm. and on October eighth, we're going to get September's. And I'm really fascinated because in the interim, what we're going to find out is if the official termination of the additional federal unemployment benefit has a major impact on our employment numbers and on the labor force. 
currently right now, what we're looking at is a 5.2% unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. And it's been in decline since everything peaked early in the pandemic. So we're still in constant decline. That number is two tenths lower than the month before. Mm -hmm. Uh, This August, we added 235,000 people to payroll. Now I'm going to give you a bunch of facts here just to help us be in the frame of mind to really talk about this. Right. Most of the major sectors ended up increasing payrolls, number of people on payroll. What declined was retail. Yeah. I think that's interesting that retail is what declined because demand is up. People actually are spending money. So demand is up, but the people to to meet that demand are down. Um, Currently, there are 8.4 million people unemployed and our pre-pandemic low was 5.7 million people unemployed. Our labor force participation rate is 61.7%, which is basically unchanged since June of 2020, okay. but it's 1.6% lower than February of 2020, which is when everything started to you know, go to hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so, but still 60, 61.7% participation rate, right? That's two thirds of the population, roughly, not quite. So I have several people in my life. I've been very lucky here on the farm in that. I have had people leave, but I've been able to, they haven't left because of pay and they haven't left because they were disgruntled in any way. And they haven't left because of the pandemic. So I've had people leave because they're returning to get advanced degrees, Mm -hmm. which was a good thing for them. A thing that we encouraged when the opportunity came up. Uh, One of them actually went back for his master's and was offered a position as an adjunct professor. Yeah, take it. We'll find, we'll figure it out here. Do you happen to know if they leveraged CARES Act dollars to help fund that education? I'm just I curious if you know that. Don't. I don't know that, but that would be really interesting. I'll have to ask him that. So so we've lost people, but we haven't lost anyone for the reasons that most people think people aren't working mm-hmm. right now. And what I've been able to do is cobble together people working enough hours because I hired a bunch of part-timers mm-hmm. who are passionate and committed. And so I'm meeting I'm meeting my need for labor just non-traditionally, I think. And sure. I, I think that's something you're probably going to get into. Um, but what if these are all people who have other jobs? Yeah. They want to they want to dabble in this, they want to be outside, they want to learn organic farming, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so that's really worked. And the thing that I offer is flexibility. Sure. Right. You don't I don't need people punching a clock at a certain time every day as much as I need people, just like we have to be flexible around the weather around here. I need people who can get the job done within a, a range. Sure. Okay. So if you have a day job and you want to work nights out here, we can make that happen. Yeah. So that's many, that's been my advantage. Katie, how many like roughly how many man hours do you need a week? particularly in the busy season to, to keep the farm going, you know, to to be profitable and get done the things that you need to get done. Like, do you have a rough approximation of that? I do. We need about 160 man hours a week. And that's, I know that's not a lot. What complicates that on farming though. (laughs) I mean, agriculture is is a different, is a different hour of work than an office job. So it really, really is. And, and part of what we're doing is I'm experienced and I'm in charge and I, I know, I know how to set the pace. And so I'm actually 60 to 70 of those. Okay. Right. So then I fill in the rest and we have, because of the nature, this is a a not-for-profit, we grow food for the food bank, the food pantries, meal programs. So um, in addition to our sales that fund all of that, but we have a lot of volunteer hours here. We have Boy Scouts and high school kids and 
churches and we have all these people who come out and volunteer who are amazing. Uh, you count volunteer hours differently though, because a volunteer cannot be held to the same standard that a paid sure. employee is. So sure. when we don't force volunteers to keep a certain pace, right. Um, gotcha. things like that. So, so it's, it's a little tricky more so than in any other ag job I've ever had to calculate necessary manpower. So we look at everything as a job and we say, okay, well, this particular job is a 22 hour task, mm-hmm. right? So we'll try and get three people on it for an entire work day or whatever yeah. it is to complete that task. Uh, anyway, anyway, I was just, I'm completely off on a rabbit trail here. No, but that's all, well, I asked and I, I tend to, I tend to send you down these rabbit trails. I just was curious, like how many man hours a week? So that gives right. me a better idea. Right. And it fluctuates with the season at peak. I need more than that. And, sure. and right now I'm at that, but then it's going to decline and I'm going to spend a lot of time at my desk and I'm only going to be in the field 25 to 30 hours a week okay. uh, in December. Anywho, the labor shortage, if we accept the idea that we're having a labor shortage, and I'm inclined to do so now, most people I know who can't find employees are screaming that they can't find employees, but they were positions that were hard to fill in the past, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know any restaurants that didn't have fairly high turnover. Correct. You yeah. know, um, I know that with some jobs, they're terrible jobs and you're constantly hiring. So now yeah. you you may have more open positions though. Yeah. So I'll accept that there's a labor shortage. And um, that it's widespread. We know that what we talk about is that we are short about seven and a half million uh, employees. Okay. Roughly what we think would fill the necessary gaps to get things back up to speed. But what we've seen during the pandemic is a different way of looking at things. I think you're going to talk about that. We've seen an additional 2 million people retire that we would not have anticipated retiring Mm -hmm. if we didn't have these mitigating circumstances. So there's 2 million people, people who reevaluated and said, you know what? I'm out. I can retire early or I was going to work long and now I'm not going to. So those people are out. Uh, We've, we have buried, uh, over 160,000 people between 18 and 65. So yeah. most of those are working people. Some of them, right. some of them over that age are, are um, still working as well. Yeah. Working, would yeah. otherwise be working as well. Yeah. A big thing that is actually getting some coverage right now is childcare. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we've been taking the kids to work kind of thing for a year and a half now. It's right. been take your daughter to work day for a year and a half. Yeah. And so <laughs> now that schools are kind of returning to something more, akin to normalness, childcare centers are able to reopen at a higher capacity if they can get staffed. But the childcare situation, the fact that the U.S. is like the only developed economy in the world that doesn't have some kind of childcare system in place outside of a, a um, Privatized private system, system. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's really bitten us in the butt during all of this. Right. I mean, can you imagine if our kids, yours and mine, were tiny? What would we have done? Uh, yeah, it would have, it would have been, it been beyond challenging because my daughter's mom and I both work full time. Right. Um, n- neither one of us, you know, are, are stay at home parents. We, we both need to work. And if, if Mia was, you know, at an age where she required childcare, uh, it would have been really, really challenging. And to that end, I work for a technology or IT uh, boot camp, and we have a partnership with with a higher education institution that provides childcare for its students. So it's a, it's a typically they serve underserved populations, and one of the biggest challenges is you know they're they're trying to provide educational opportunities for folks, but a lot of these folks have young children, and they 
so they're, they're, they're stuck twice. Right. So mm-hmm. not only can they not uh, necessarily maybe pursue this educational opportunity because of childcare restrictions, but then they're, they're not able to get the necessary skills to be able to go and get a better paying job, you know, uh, mm-hmm. upon completion of, of this training or, or that degree program. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I was, I felt fortunate that my daughter was, you know, in eighth and ninth grade during this and was pretty self-sufficient and could go to school or even when, I'm sorry, when she couldn't go to school, she could do classroom on her own. Yeah. Yeah. Like she could, you know, hole up in her, in her room and and do her work without needing constant like supervision. But even that, even that was still challenging as a parent. Yeah. We're still neglecting. You're like, you're there the whole time. Like you're on top of each other the whole time, you know? And like, (laughs) my wife was trying to have meetings. I was having meetings and Mia was like, you guys are being too loud. I, you know, I can't hear my class. So I can't imagine. And, you know, we were in a, we were in a pretty beneficial position. So I can't imagine those that had multiple kids that were even younger. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors. You mean, obviously the positions available to get your kid into someplace were, were scarce. Childcare averages about $8,000 a year per kid in this country. Um, Averages, it can be much, much higher than that. You always have people in different situations. If you're going to school, you have, you know, no way to do childcare, right? That becomes a negative. And childcare workers, ironically, like average like twelve and a half dollars an hour or something in pay. So like they can't afford childcare for their own kids, right? right? right. So <laughs> it's like this messed up system. Yeah, and then, well, and then <laughs> right. And I had a lot of friends who lived in big cities and were professional women and decided to have children. And the um result was that it was like financially a wash for them to stay in their career and to pay for childcare. Yep. But if they didn't want to lose their space in their company. And start from the bottom again, if they wanted to have a job when the kid was old enough to be in the school system, they had to stay in. And so I know people that were like losing money, putting their kids in childcare when they were little, because if, you know, usually mom, if mom needed to stay at work in order to continue and have, you know, have a place, because I'll tell you what, it is really hard to walk back into a career if you've got a five-year gap on your resume. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, you know, and that exacerbates wage discrepancies. So you have people paying for childcare, but if you're in a position that's low paid, if you work at a restaurant, if you work in hospitality, in retail, if so many different jobs in this country, it, you're losing money or at a wash doing childcare. Yeah. And now you're, yeah. And now you're in this situation where you don't have the childcare. It's like, why are you rushing back for nothing? Literally nothing. Right. And so so I think does, the childcare issue is huge. It is. And and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it is women that are being um, affected much more than, than men in that scenario. Um, and that's probably a whole other topic for another episode. But, um, you know, you said something earlier about that, that retail is struggling for for employees. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the areas that's hardest hit by this or is, is having the the most difficulty in terms of bouncing back. Um, I'll tell you, I'm not surprised by that for, for a couple of reasons. Um, so, you know, what I, where I work is we, we do coding and cybersecurity training mm-hmm. and um, we're seeing a ton of people from retail and hospitality sprinting to us to try and get skilled up in, in, in a tech skill uh, for, for a number of reasons. So for starters, there are approximately at any given moment on the planet, 27 billion connected devices in use around the world. Holy so, smokes. yeah. So there are, 
well, everybody, you know, everybody has a device essentially, right? Everybody has multiple devices, but that's not even all the devices. That's those that are connected at any one time. And that, that number is only going to continue to grow. So what we're, what we're seeing is this digitization, obviously of, of life or the continuization of the digitization of our, of our life. Um, And with that comes this incredible growth in technology. So really now every company is a tech company, whether you are an organic farm or you are Salesforce or you are Google. Every company, particularly in agriculture, agriculture is probably to the layperson, one of the fastest growing areas of, of, of tech. And this is qualitative research, but because um, I don't have a source to quote, but with some of the folks that we're working with in different regions around Indiana that are heavy ag, some of the tech that's involved with autonomous tractors and mm. supply chain and um, uh, checking inventory is it's as high tech as high tech gets. Not to mention how to more efficiently grow and you know work within weather systems, et cetera. So it doesn't surprise me that traditional positions that were easier to get like retail positions or hospitality, not, not easy jobs, but there was, there was more of them. It doesn't surprise me that there are shortages in that area for a couple of other reasons. So right now the world economic forum estimates that with automation in this country, the move to to autonomous uh, and AI, artificial intelligence and and autonomous vehicles, et cetera, that creation and that, that um, skill area is going to displace about 75 million jobs in this country by 2022. However, it's going to generate 133 million new jobs. So it's a $58 million plus in terms of new jobs. Sorry, that's not in this country. That's worldwide by 2022. So with- By 2022? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So with computers and cars um, and the automation of those, and all these new technologies, a lot of the jobs that are being eliminated are jobs that were typically more dangerous and, and higher risk for people. And, and now these jobs that are being created um, are not only in a position where you don't necessarily have to have had the skills previously to be able to do them at an entry-level position, but they're also much higher paying. They're much better uh, work-life balance. And it's much more realistic in terms of like hours, et cetera. So to me, when you say that retail is having a hard time finding people, I'm not saying that they're all going towards coding jobs, but really there, there's no reason why people shouldn't be getting skilled in coding. And this isn't a plug for what I do. I'm just saying that if you (laughs) don't have a background, I promise if you don't have a background in coding though, in the next five to 10 years, Mm -hmm. your job is going to, your job is going to suffer. And I'm going to go through a couple of examples and why coding is important those, but we are seeing this massive influx of retail workers and hospitality folks Mm -hmm. and people that want to transition from factory jobs and and, and heavy manufacturing into jobs that involve coding or tech just because of the growth projections. There literally is no ceiling on the number of jobs that are going to be available worldwide. And then take into account that jobs are no longer just regional or local to where your home environment is. You can literally get a job and work for any company almost in the world because what we one, one thing that we saw in the pandemic, right, is that jobs are now mobile. You can work, a lot of these jobs can be done remotely, anywhere, anyhow. And so all this combined, people are, are getting smart and they're, they're kind of taking control of what they want to do with 
their lives and how they want to go about earning money. The other piece on the retail side is I never thought this would be me. I hate shopping. I hate it. (laughs) There's a running joke that I, uh, before like, I was like early 2000, I printed out, I went to my dot printer in my apartment and printed out like three pages of items that I wanted from Old Navy. And I walked into Old Navy and I said, where can I find these? And they looked at me like I was crazy and they pointed at them and I grabbed them and I was out in 10 minutes. And to me, I was like, that was a successful shopping trip because I hate physically going out and shopping, right? I actually like shopping now, but it's on like Amazon or it's on, it's like virtual or digital because I don't have to, I don't have to leave and I will I spend, that. go ahead. Sorry. No, I get that. Yeah. I was just saying, like, yeah, I, 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 I spent a lot of time in a store today, which I haven't done in a long time. <laughs> going to start like doing my groceries online. Like I, I flipped the switch. Like I I recently moved to a new place and I'm like, I'm like Amazon's best customer. Like Jeff Bezos (laughs) is like probably going to start calling me on speed. I was like, man, you're on Amazon a lot. And it's like everything from groceries to like shit I need for my new place. And like, I, you know, things like I didn't know that I needed this or now I can order my, um, the, the air filters for my new, you know, play mm-hmm. like, like everything. I'm like, it's literally here. And to the point, Katie, I know I'm way off topic here, but to the <laughs> point, I then got an Amazon prime chase card because I'm like, well, hell I can earn 5%. <laughs> then I can just buy more shit. So it's like, this like, okay. Now listen, listen on this side note, tell me that you're using, tell me you're using Amazon smile. I don't you know, know what, what Amazon is? smile okay. is. So Amazon smile. Now listen, everyone. Our beloved listeners, I know <laughs> the ethical and moral dilemma that is Amazon. I understand. Yes, I that. do too, by the way. I do too. And, okay. All right. And I also get that when I lived 80 miles from the city, Amazon was literally the fastest, best way to do a lot of things. And I yeah. caved, man. I was in. Yeah. So Amazon Smile is a thing where they take, I think it's 1% of your purchases. And for no cost to you, you go to, you, sync up your app on your phone. You go to Amazon smile and you pick a charity and they give one oh. of whatever you're spending to a charity. Right. Okay. So like I, I give to the IRC, the international yeah. rescue committee, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Things like that. So, so, um, and you can do it. Actually, my farm is about to be listed on there. So I'm going to, there's going to be a huge awesome. push soon for my farm. Yeah. But, but I, I get that there's an ethical dilemma, but I think we've talked in the past that there is a place for, um, some of this like to be used for good while we're trying to reform. Well, we, the we, we, did, we did an episode on that, right? We did an right. episode on like working with um altruistic companies, right? Right, right. Uh, and Amazon is not an altruistic. No, I, I know. I actually I, boycotted I for a while with the with the workers, and I get that. At the same time, in a reduced amount, I'm still using Amazon, and I want to do the best I can when I'm doing that, right? And it's not no, just I Amazon. Agree. There's other websites. I, I anyway. Okay, this is a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> okay, wait. Let me throw some stuff at you that piggybacks yeah, yeah. on what you said, right? So we were talking about how uh, not having pre-K in this country bit us in the butt. Yeah, and it's the same with elder care. So our generation, this is going to really resonate with you very soon, I'm afraid, because it's starting to resonate with me. We are taking care of our children and our parents. Yeah. Our parents are taking care of their parents. And so there's this multi-generational care thing going on. Well, when you enter, when a virus enters that, right? Because it's it's humans versus 
the pathogen, the contagion, yeah. right? Yeah. This is every movie of the 90s yep. that we've been living through. And we failed, like we're so pathetic. But <laughs> but when you take the most vulnerable populations and you put them in our care, it has reduced what people can do and where they can go. And so if you are caring for your elderly parents, the idea that you're then going to go be able to work in one of these essential positions at the grocery store or in retail in a restaurant is just not an option. If you take it home to them, you know, there's a horrible chance that you will spread something to them. And people right. had to make that decision and shaming those people for making that decision when we're in a culture that provides no elder care and no pre-K is BS. Yeah, so I agree. There's my rant. There's my rant. Um, but you're talking about return to school and that's, that's where I was supposed to be going with this. A huge number of people have decided to return to school. They've had a moment to take a breath and assess what's happening with their life. And they've gone, you know what? I am not doing this. I am not getting treated like this. I am not going to be miserable forever. I had a hobby once, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. They're finding out like, I want to do more. And so, you know, the whole time we kind of looked down on these people and now we're missing them. And they've said, no, I'm going to go do something else with my life. And I kind of want to like have a parade and cheer for them. And I, like, I agree. Oh, I'm, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> right? I will, I will always, uh, because you and I both have, have worked in, in hospitality and, and I, I ran a business that was based in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will always be appreciative of anybody that works in, you know, food or hospitality or retail, because it is a thankless job. Clearly people aren't getting rich doing it, but sometimes it's really like the only option that people have to, mm-hmm. to generate, you know, enough to, to try and to try and have a sustainable right, life. Right. right? And then but, we shame them if they are doing well, this is one right. of the worst things in a, in a tipping world is that I've heard people justify poor tips with the idea that, oh my God, they make so much. Yeah. And you're just right. like, <laughs> like, oh no. Trust me, they don't. That uh, yeah. I mean, like, they, they don't. But if they are doing, if like you can survive on that, right. you have it in your head, like, oh, they can afford to save for retirement. Right. They might be able to afford health insurance. And you're going to be a jerk to them about that and try, try and derail it. Like, you need to get out of the restaurant. You yeah, don't you, get to come if you out and can't eat afford, If you can't afford a tip, then you shouldn't go out and eat, right? Well, and, right. But if you're going to shame servers who are making a living, right. then you also shouldn't be there. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. You could probably spit in my food and I'm probably still going to give you like 15%. I, I, like that's like, you have to be like really horrible like to get less than 15% from me just because I know how little money that people, mm-hmm. you know, they, they make, they literally, their, their hourly wage. The hourly is nothing. Classes, yeah. Right. So yeah. you're literally living on tips. And if you like are pleasant and have a conversation with me and don't just sell me on the most expensive thing, but give me what you honestly, you know, recommend. Well, then you're probably looking at 25% from me just because I know how hard of a job it is. And mm-hmm. even in nice restaurants, I don't like, and I don't go out that nice that often anymore, but when I did, you know, in my mind, I know, okay, it's probably going to be a X amount of hundred dollars or whatever. And I know that I'm going to have to do an X amount of tip on top of that. I plan that when I go right. out because- right. And and so what if they're making a living? They're still working a ridiculously hard (laughs) job. You know what I mean? It's still like you're on your feet the entire time. You're carrying plates, you know, you're dealing with kitchen. It'd be nice to people. Right. It's like that's the hardest. That's worth 25% right there. Right. Right. Anyway, I I took us off, I took us off track here. But I did too. But I mean, you know, we we can't really be surprised about the sectors that are hurting the most because they are the crappiest jobs. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my partner 
works in an industry that is like really hard physical labor, horrible, horrible physical labor. And it's always been hard to stay staffed. Mm -hmm. And um, he has always gone over and above on wages because Mm -hmm. of that. Like he wants, Mm -hmm. he gets, he does, you know, he, he has this like appreciation of the fact that this is a crap job. (laughs) So what can he do to make it worth doing the crap job? And I, I appreciate his cognizance and his awareness that like, you know, some jobs are just terrible and they haven't yet been mechanized. And this is not a situation that has yet had people replaced and, and where someone can sit in a position and, and do something from a screen. That's going to make these things happen. People are out there working in extreme temperatures and doing this very hard stuff. And it's not surprising that those are the hardest jobs to fill. They are the hardest jobs to fill when we aren't having all these other mitigating factors. So of course they're the last ones to recover right now. Sure. And, and I think it's important that we point out that the states who rejected the additional, um, you know, terminated Funny, early, yeah. the additional unemployment benefits didn't see the bump in employment. Right. And I really think it's one thing, like everybody's calling people lazy right now, which makes mm-hmm. me insane. Right. But as a workaholic, I, if I can get it, then you can get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, right, like right. it's, it's, you're calling someone lazy for not wanting to do something horrible. Right. And I don't think that's except like, that's where we are in how we treat other human beings as well. You know, someone should be cleaning up my crap. Well, you know, I just, I think that reflects on the person saying it more often than not. I I agree. You know, you and I are on the same page with this. So yeah, there's no argument for me on that. I have a hard time with the, I need it now. And it's the, I'm more important than you mentality that, that, that drives me crazy. And you know, if you, if you're on TikTok or, you know, you follow social media, there's, there's, there's the Karen phenomenon and it's, it's easy <laughs> clickbait, right? Like right. As, soon, as soon as someone posts a Karen video and I'm guilty of it, I, I watch it just so that I can have disdain for that person. Um, but <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's maddening, right? So like right, the right. people that have the, the most challenging and difficult jobs are the ones that get treated the worst. And then we're surprised as a country when people don't want to go back to doing that. Yeah. They, they, they've had a moment to like decompress and maybe for the first time in their life, like have a moment of clarity and sit and think about what they might be able to do for the rest of their lives, as opposed to, you know, being in this, this endless cycle. So it would be nice if, you know, we had a little bit more compassion. Um, I, I think, you know, we're probably the most divided we've been in the country. And I know every generation says that, but I, I, do, I do really feel like it's at least I'm 48. That's it's the most divided mm-hmm. I've felt. And it would just be nice if you get back to having some compassion for people that quite honestly are some of the hardest working people out there. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> people that are yeah. in the hospitality and service industry, they're not lazy. They, if they are, they don't make any money. So, well, uh, yeah. And, and there's this, whole, the reality is too, these jobs are weird hours. They're you yeah. don't get holidays off. You don't get normal vacations. You don't have benefits. It's more than, it's even more than long hours on your feet being nice to assholes, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, yeah. producer Pete. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to get us like a bad rating thing. But, but it's also, you have to exist in a different realm than the nine to fivers. You know, yeah, it's, right. you don't, you don't get to go to your kids' stuff at night. Right. 
right? Like there's, you're taking a hit on every level of your life when you work these outside of the norm positions. And in my mind, if you're going to have to remove yourself from the rest of society on that level, and you don't get to participate in family events, and you don't get to go to your kids stuff, and you don't get vacations, and you don't have healthcare and all this stuff, like these people should be paid a bunch, right? It's the exact opposite. But anyway, I, I, I want to talk, I want to, we have to switch to you because I want to talk, Pete's going to have to cut a bunch out of this. No, no. I want to talk about the shifting labor market and the shifting world of work. Like that yeah. is where we are. We've already kind of rolled into this a little. Yeah, we did. And and we are already at 30 minutes. So I will be, I will be quick, but I do want, we are going to, when the Sorry. October, no, it's okay. No, this was good. This was a, a collaborative discussion. When the October 8th new work numbers come out, we're going to do another episode, right? We're going to take a look at yes. what those what those numbers uh, in September kind of speak for in terms of trends. But uh, to your point, you know, I talked a little bit about this, the generation of essentially 58 million more jobs due to automation. And I, I won't harp on this, but jobs like website design and marketing analysts and logistics managers and autonomous car engineers and digital security, those are really fast growing jobs in this sector. And they don't require necessarily a four-year degree or years and years of experience. And marketing marketing analysts, like I used to be in marketing in the late 90s and early 2000s. I couldn't be a marketing analyst now if there was a gun to my head because I don't have the background in like search and you know search engine optimization and just the the day-to-day constant analysis that's needed to evaluate the ROI on the programs that you're running and are they successful yeah. and are they not? You oh, know, I wouldn't I, yeah, I wouldn't know how to go in and like do specific geo-targeting. I know there's platforms out there and I, I get the concepts, but to really be good at marketing now, it is not just a you have to have creativity, absolutely, but you also have to know how to use tech and how to be able to be effective and justify the spend. And there's so many options and so many ways in which that you can identify and target people that if you aren't having positive outcomes in short order, then you're doing it wrong. You need to be able to be nimble enough and make those changes. Like website design, it's not now just about being artistic and creative. You have to have the understanding of where should buttons go and what color should they be and what's going to keep somebody on my website? What's going to retain their attention to get them to buy something from our website? So there's just so much that's happening so quickly that I'm excited for people that may have gotten fed up with their previous job. I know it's an inconvenience for for those of us that enjoy going out to eat or doing things in hospitality, but there really is one of the positives that that's spun out of this horrible pandemic is that there are now opportunities for people to go and pursue training in a different field and can still retain some of the creativity and flexibility that they want because so many jobs now are not straight nine to five at a desk. And that's another thing that I think is important is what scared the bejesus out of like corporate America is the realization that the economy didn't collapse and people had to work from home. And in fact, productivity actually probably went up and costs went way down because they're not having to run electricity in a building all the time and they don't have to keep it open for as long and all of these factors. And they're like, shit, how are we going to keep these corporate drones under our watch when we're Mm -hmm. demonstrating like, you know, that, that, that uh, productivity is going up and that profitability is going up. So I, yeah, it's, it probably came about because of a of an awful scenario, but I am really excited to see what the next 10 years brings in terms of what the workforce looks like, 
what retail and hospitality looks like. I think there's going to be more and more um, like immersive opportunities and virtual opportunities as it relates to like hospitality. I don't know what, I don't know what, um, you know, dining and, and, and restaurants will look like, but gosh, I, I would think that with the increase in DoorDash and Uber Eats and all those types of things, my guess is that it's going to be, it's going to be impacted potentially negatively, except for those places that find a unique way to make that dining experience something that's better than, you know, what they could get in, in a virtual environment, you know, mm-hmm. or, or having the convenience of having it taken directly to them. So to kind of, I guess, try and put a wrap on this, I'm excited to see what happens and, and opportunities for folks that have traditionally been put in no-win positions and in, in, in no-win scenarios. I'm glad that a lot of these folks in retail and hospitality got an opportunity to, to maybe figure their lives out a little bit and, and take advantage of, take advantage is, is the wrong phrase, be able to benefit from having some uh, resources available to them during mm-hmm. this pandemic. And um, I hope that people do come back and, and work those for the, for the restaurant owners and, and everyone else. But I also hope that a lot of people are able to go out and, and find different career pathways as well that maybe give them a, you know, a better work-life balance. And that's something yeah. that you and I talk about a lot as well. Yeah, I I almost see this as this might sound excessively harsh, but the farmer in me almost sees this as a a culling. Yeah, a potential culling. I don't know that it's actually happening. I should look that up. But a lot of restaurant owners and restaurant environments and retail environments are crappy, right? Yeah, and um, I'm really intrigued by the idea that the people who treated their people well are doing better. And the people who showed their crappy true colors are having trouble. And I mean, you know, and it's not always the case, but I do think kind of with a broad stroke, that's what you're seeing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know in the hospitality industry that everyone's hurting, but I'd like to think that the people who survive this are the ones who treated their people well and whose customers are willing to pay a little more for a decent life. And absolutely. So anyway. I agree. No, I we need to wrap. like always we agree. We do need to wrap. <laughs> I will I will say this. Uh, if you guys have, if our listeners have any questions or show ideas or want to discuss this further, uh, please uh, drop us a Twitter at Katie and me pod, or you can follow us on Instagram at Katie and me podcast. And again, Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. Always great to talk to you, Katie. I, I love when you come with all kinds of stats and then I just take us off on an d- entirely different pathway. <laughs> it's fun. It's but it was an enjoyable conversation today and it's great yeah. to see you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. I'm really excited to be back. Hopefully we'll be in the studio soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Katie. <laughs>